obedience that he asks of us here for for his word. When I was a kid, my mom, who was a music teacher and also a music major in college, I acquired quite a collection of music, a lot of classical music, and um, I found a uh, a case of uh, of cassette tapes of Beethoven's sym- uh, symphonies, uh, symphonies one through nine. I believe he had nine, all all, all of his symphonies, and uh, and I listened to them all. And of course, probably the symphony we're most familiar with is is number five, right? Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And sometimes you can wonder when you listen to a piece of music by a composer uh, whether they really knew how to bring a piece to an end. And Beethoven's Fifth is 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 one of those. And if you're wondering what Beethoven's Fifth was, that was the one that goes da 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 da, right? Da 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 da. It's pretty 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 familiar. But he takes like a half a dozen run-ups at the end, and then and then the final chord comes about eight times. And just as when you think you're coming to the end, the chords go crashing on and on. It sounds like it's final, but it leaves room for just one more, and then another, and then another. And probably if maybe you're a magician, you study music theory, maybe you know uh, uh, Ludwig's a purpose in it. Here, but for most of us, it seems though they pack a lot into that ending, <laughs> and the and the whole symphony is gathered up in the, just a few explosive chords. And Matthew's end is kind of like that here. This book, it's it's like that. He concludes recording Jesus' great commission here. The scene as you as we as we read in, in verse sixteen is a mountain. If you've read the book of Matthew, that's not really a surprise because a great deal of Matthew happens on a mountain. The temptations and the Sermon on the Mount and the Transfiguration, the, 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 the Mount of Olives, and then this scene here. Moses and Elijah and the Bible both met the living God on a mountain. And now the reason Jesus invites His disciples to meet Him. Notice Jesus' authority here. He says all power. The word isn't dunamis, the word for power. It's actually exousia. It's authority here. He says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And this is the one who has been resurrected. The resurrection means that Jesus Christ is God's universal king with all of God's authority uh, to rule. And so Jesus isn't just another religious guru who's pitching a sales pitch to us here. Like many have over the centuries, right? All kinds of... So supposed religious leaders. He's just not another voice in the boardroom. Or he's not just calling uh, uh, us, us uh, uh, to, here to, to try, try Jesus. Jesus is the risen Lord. He's making very clear here in verse 18. He's the risen Lord. And because he's the risen Lord, he's the absolute uh, supreme ruler. He's, that's, that's the claim of Christianity is Jesus is the one true Lord, isn't he? And notice what Jesus does. With that authority, he declares who he is, and then he issues a command. And the command is in verse 19. The actual command in the grammar is not "Go ye therefore and baptizing and teaching." The actual command there is "Teach all nations." It literally means make disciples of all nations, make learners of who Jesus is of all nations. He makes this command, and why shouldn't he? He's the Lord. He's the King of God's eternal kingdom. And so he's able to command, and he orders his learners to recruit and make other learners from all nations of the world. It's pretty easy for us to hear that word nations and think of of that as overseas countries. But think of where Jesus is saying this here. Think of where Jesus, Jesus is referring to. He was... He wasn't giving the disciples the task of, okay, I want you to have this passport stamp on your passport of this country and this country and this country. Just tick them off like some itinerary. No, the, the nations here are the ethnic groups of the world. 
you know, there's countries of multiple ethnic groups. Um, I believe the, the, the nation of India, and Connie can probably correct me on this, has 700 and 900 different languages and dialects, depending on how you count them and categorize them. These, these, the, the variety of nations and tribes and tongues and, and out of which Israel was, was, was called at the beginning to be, to be God's own special people, His holy nation. And, and throughout scripture, the nations here means generally the, the non-Jewish rest of the world. So these disciples here hearing that were Jews and that was a shocking thing for them to hear. And perhaps you can start to feel what a, what a radical statement that might have been to those Jewish Men who, uh, those eleven there on the mountain with Jesus, think about it. The Jewish Messiah had risen from the grave to say, to be the ruler, but his commission for these followers was not to just simply make disciples of Israel, but of the, <clears throat> of the nations. Those who they would have viewed as pagans, unclean, defiled. So much so that a Jew was not even allowed to eat with them. And Jesus here is giving a commission uh, to make disciples of even their enemies, of the despised so-called heathens, and even the Roman Empire who had defeated and oppressed them. Now, if they had been listening and paying attention all along, it might not have been so surprising or shocking to the disciples, because the very book of Matthew opens uh, with, with, with people from a far country coming to search out Jesus being guided to Bethlehem. We call them the wise men, right? The magi. They come to the sea of David. And what do they do? They fall down and they worship the newborn Christ. Though they are not Jews themselves, they worship the Jewish Messiah. We've been working through a series here. And this is the last message in the series here of disciple making. And then we're going to pick up and looking at Jesus' method of making disciples. And next Sunday, Birch, this passage is really going to set up Birch to speak on John 1 to answer, uh, to see what Jesus said when he said, come and see, come and see, the first stage of big disciples. But we've been trying to answer some basic questions of what it means to make disciples. And today we're trying to answer the question of where do we make disciples? Where do we make disciples? And I'm sure most of you know the answer to that here, but we work through several uh, um, other different questions. Why do we make disciples? And 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 we we have we have uh, seen in Revelation that God uh, desires a, a a group of 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 worshipers who are called out from every tongue and every tribe and every nation who gather around the risen Christ and bring glory and honor to Him for His. Uh, uh, crucifixion and resurrection on their behalf. And so we answer the question, why do we make disciples with that big picture here so that the Lamb of God who died for us so that we will not live for ourselves but live for Him which died and rose again as we saw last Sunday will receive the reward of His suffering. Will receive the, the, the reward of His shed blood on behalf. And then we ask the question, well then what is a disciple? What's a disciple of Jesus? Um, maybe when you hear the word disciple, you think of, of, of some people that I've known who have sold everything they had and packed up everything they had and, and basically backpacked around uh, India and found a guru somewhere to kind of learn his ways and learn his philosophy of life. And 
That's a little picture of what it means to be a disciple, but it's not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means to be like Jesus, and it means to to learn of Jesus, to learn his ways, learn who he is, learn what he's done for us, to 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 become conformed to to who he is, and and to unlearn the things that are not like Jesus. So a disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. And those last Three words there, repentance and faith, means they're, they're turning away from, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, turn to the living God from idols. They are, they are, they are, they are giving themselves more and more to Christ, and they are realizing how much of the stuff that they have not given the Lord needs to be unlearned and cast off, and Paul puts it this way, put off the old, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new, which is Jesus Christ, the true image of God. He says in Colossians 3. And so a disciple is someone who is, who is, who has come to Jesus and said, I cannot earn this relationship with God. And Jesus Christ died for my sins. And Jesus Christ paid in full what I owe to God. What I, how, how far I have fallen short of, of, of giving honor and glory to God and, and living according to His design, uh, original design for me. And Jesus has died for that debt. And Jesus has given me a full credit of all his perfect goodness in my spiritual bank account that will never run dry. So I receive Christ's life. He who knew no sin, Christ, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so a disciple is one who is in him in Christ. Their identity is not found up in their favorite sports team, uh, not found uh, in, in their in their human relationships. Their identity is not found in their ultimately in their children, not in their in their work, uh, not in their looks. Their identity is found in Jesus Christ, who stands as the sweet and righteous one for the world. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that's what a disciple is. The third, we, we asked the question, well, then how are disciples made? And we looked in Acts chapter 2, and we saw that when the Spirit comes upon uh, uh, people, when they are saved, He fills them, and, and, he, and he gives them the, the words to speak from His Word to, to speak of who He is. And God's filling of the Spirit is connected with the words declaring forth who God is. We saw in Sunday school this morning, proclaiming the excellencies of His praise which were not a people, but now are, which have not obtained mercy, but now have. And so we make disciples by the faithful teaching of the Word of God. We're not, we're not making disciples of Jamie. We're not making disciples of, of Ethan. We're not making disciples of Logan. We're not making disciples of Gary. We're making disciples of Jesus. And so if we're making disciples of Jesus, we need Jesus' Word. And so it's by the faithful teaching of the Word of God, by the people of God, building relationships and dependence on the Spirit of God in prayer. So they're not doing this uh, in their own power, but they're depending on the Spirit of God as He uses His Word to bring life. Bring life through His Word. And that's who makes disciples and how, makes disciples, uh, how disciples uh, are made. And then we saw that this, uh, the, the people who make disciples are all believers. It's expected of all believers to make disciples because if we're spirit-filled lovers of God, we obey Christ and we make disciples. It's the greatest uh, act of love uh, to love our neighbor that we can is to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. We share his goodness. We, we image forth the, the life of Christ in us. We share uh, who God is uh, to the world. It's the greatest loving thing we can do. Word 
and deed. And so, who makes disciples if you're a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ? Our responsibility is squarely on us. He could have written the message in the sky, right? He could have angels make disciples, but he allows the little Christs, the Christians, to make disciples. And so, this morning, what I really want us to see is that what it all comes down to, uh, where do we make disciples? Matthew 28 shows us here that wherever we are, we bear witness to learning Christ in word and deed. That's where we make disciples, wherever we are. Here's, here's what, here's what, um, Jesus said in these words to us. This where of making learners of Christ is not only among his own believers as we're supposed to spur one another on to learn good works and grow uh, each other through through the words of of uh, exhortation here and and uh, encouraging one another from the word of God. We're supposed to disciple each other, all right. But that's not the only where. The where of making learners of Christ occurs not there as we are with each other as fellow learners of Christ, but in every corner of the darkness. In every corner of the darkness in which people are trapped and rebellion against the <clears throat> against the risen Christ. <clears throat> every street, every neighborhood, <clears throat> every community, every ethnic group, every subculture, skateboarders and real estate investors, right? Every nation. <clears throat> the way of making disciples is everywhere, from from the from the from the dinner table to the you know, of course, the the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa, right? Which, by the way. Uh, you might find uh, there are more Christians in the global south and in Africa uh, than in the western area. The, the, the focus of the Holy Spirit has really shifted here, and 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 in Asia and Africa is really seeing a boom, a revival, and uh, conversions and believers and churches being multiplied here. But when you look at the Book of Acts, the first half of the Book of Acts. Where this happens, what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 28, 18-20, uh, you see that they, they begin to understand more and more of what Jesus said about this. Uh, taking the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for forgiveness to the nations. It meant taking to the people, taking to the people that they had at this point, when Jesus gives them this commission in Matthew 28, people that they had not thought very deeply about. People that were not on their radar. People that were beyond the pale. Uh, uh, people whose houses before they would not even enter. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, when one of these disciples, Peter, ends up going uh, to really give the gospel to the very first person who's not Jewish, he goes to one of the hiring officials of the, those who are oppressing his own country, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And that hadn't probably crossed Peter's mind when he heard this. He probably nodded in a little bit of loop here. Uh, yeah, okay, we're going to make disciples. And he's interpreting the nations to be uh, his own people. But Jesus pushes him, spreads him out. In the grammar, in the verse here, in the original language, <clears throat> the command is to make disciples. And there are things in the English language that we call participles. And you cannot see those in verse 19. Go, baptizing, and verse 20, teaching. And so those participles are attached to the command to go. 
So make disciples, and here are the three stages here. Here is the process here. Going, baptizing, and teaching. In fact, that word go there is the idea of as you are going. So going, make disciples. Going, make disciples. And then baptizing, and then teaching. So baptizing, going means wherever you're going, on your way. Wherever you are, that's the where of disciple making. Baptism implies that the Jesus learner is a public thing. So after a person comes to Jesus, comes to Christ, their baptism is their, their is their public commitment, their open public commitment to Christ. It's a public, visible, a physical way that someone says, "I am marked out." It never saves somebody. It never makes anybody anybody more righteous before God. But it is it is a testifying to the world that I have marked out my life as belonging to Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then there's the teaching part. And verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe. That word observe there is like a like what a scientist would do with a magnifying glass. That word observe is the word obey. It means teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded you. And so that teaching means that being a Jesus learner is a transformation process. We come to Christ, we are brought from the kingdom of darkness to the light, but there is still a transformation process. We're being formed into the image of the Son of God. Uh, That teaching there doesn't come simply by gaining more knowledge, though knowledge is part of this but by putting into practice what God has said, what Jesus has said. In other words, the way of Christ is not a theory. It translates into real life. Translates into real life. But back to that word go in verse 19. As you go. In other words, making disciples, Jesus says, as you go, that's all of life, isn't it? That's everything. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? As you go. As you go, as you go home, as you go out to work, uh, as you go to uh, to the store, whatever, as you go, as you are going, all of life, as you're walking in life, making disciples is to be the normal agenda. It's to be the everyday priority of as you go. In other words, whatever we do, wherever we go, whoever we're with, Here's God's overriding concern, God's God's uh, uh, expectation because of who he is, because of how he has shared his life with us. We are to share his life with others to make disciples. That's the standing order. Now, maybe your maybe your definition of disciple making here says, well, what do you mean? I mean that everywhere I go, I'm going to have a Bible study with somebody. What's what's disciple making? That's learning Christ and repentance and faith, right? That's what a disciple is. And disciple making then is to use the truth of the Word of God through a dependence on the power of God through prayer uh, to to uh, to to see the Christ life overflow in others. A disciple he follows Jesus. A disciple then also invites others to follow him. And then trains them how to repeat the process. In other words, you could put it this way with maybe three M's. Disciples are called to make, to mature, and to multiply disciples. Now think about that first one. We're called to make disciples. That's 
obviously pretty clear here from this passage. We're called to make disciples. That means that we begin by engaging the lost, doesn't it? We begin by engaging the lost. Uh, if someone is not a disciple, how do we make disciples? We engage with them. We engage with them. Many of you have told stories of how you noticed somebody and you showed an interest in them. And the Lord gave you opportunities to then evangelize, to share the good news. It's about telling strangers and friends and family and anyone else who doesn't know that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus has died for their sins. That's not where it stops because Jesus didn't say, go and make converts, did He? Jesus said, go and make disciples. So we don't just tell about tell people about Jesus and then move on and say, okay, you're good now, right? We don't say, I'm glad you believe, enjoy yourself. No, because there's the maturing process, isn't there? There's the establishing process. We teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Right? That's the process of, of when you become a believer, becoming more and more like Jesus, pressing into Jesus. That's what we call sanctification. Big long word, it just means becoming more and more like Jesus. We rely on God. We devour, we dwell on the things of God in His Word. We pray. We, we kill sin in our lives by His power. We live to righteousness, what He calls us to do. We serve others. Uh, we, we think about uh, what Jesus would do. We, we remember what He did. And, and those are a few characteristics of a mature disciple. We model these things and we teach others to model them. And we multiply disciples. Make Mature and multiply. Because a maturing disciple who is learning more and more who Jesus is can't keep it to themselves, right? We can't keep it to themselves. We can't, we can't hoard it. Mature disciples by the Holy Spirit's power take Jesus to others. We were evangelized by someone to evangelize others. We are loved to love. We have been blessed to bless. We have been forgiven to forgive. We are served to serve, we are redeemed to point to the Redeemer, right? And and so and so the, this this cycle, this uh, discipleship is making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? And here in Matthew twenty-eight, this part about maturity here of of, of of teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Maybe you're wondering, well, what in the world does Jesus mean by that? What are all the commands of Jesus and how do I teach someone to obey that? Well, you teach them as you are learning to obey those things more and more, right? But let me ask you a question. Of all the things that Jesus said, what did he boil them all into? What two commands did he boil them all into? So if you're going to teach someone to obey all that Jesus commanded, probably be good to start with the most important commandment, right? Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Let's go there. Matthew 22, verse 36. Someone asked him a question. It says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. And Jesus here is, is engaging in the conversation with this, with this man who's trying to trick And Jesus says, if you have to sum up what the teaching of the Bible is, it's this. Love God with everything. And 
love people. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so these verses in Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20 tells us that really, if we're going to keep it very simple, the maturing in the Jesus Christ means growing deeper into that truth, isn't it? Loving God with more and more of our being. Loving our neighbor in greater and greater ways. And not just, in, again, a theoretical love, is it? It translates, as John says, in word and deed, in tangible things, in real love. So these words from the Scripture really bring us to a point of response here. Maybe you're asking, well, I don't know about this. Um, okay, wherever I am, I'm to bear witness to learning Christ in word and deed, all right, and pass that to others here. Well, what does that mean? Well, if we have to sum up this passage, this is what it is. We're to make disciples of all cultures. You know that you're going to have cultures that you're going to be better connected to than others, but Jesus doesn't tell you to draw the line at those cultures because that's not what being a missionary is. Being a missionary means you're crossing cultural gaps here for the sake of the gospel. That's what 1 Corinthians 9 is all about. So make disciple of all cultures as you are going in all of life, and then when they come to Christ, then you are baptizing them in the what? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that their new identity, that God has accepted them in his fellowship that he has enjoyed for all eternity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And you're baptizing them as their public commitment in this, uh, of this. And then in that maturing process here, because uh, we're called to, to continue to grow, uh, and, and in each of us is a, is a tool in that, that we're to teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And we could really sum that up in two things. Love God with everything, and love our neighbor. Now, do you notice in this passage that that's the meat of the passage? But there's two pieces of bread on each on the top, and there's a piece on the top and the bottom. Don't miss those two pieces of bread. Those are more than bread. They're they're also part of the meat here. This is the power for all. What does Jesus say at the beginning? In 18, what does he say? All power, all authority is given unto me, right? So he's announcing to them that I am the king of the universe. Now, um, if, if, if I'm gonna, if I'm going to uh, go into a dark part of town and I have Tim Davis with me, who's in his full, you know, gear and his bulletproof vest, he's got his taser and everything, I, I, I feel a little more safe. I feel a little more secure, right? Because he'll probably have my back. Probably. Um, uh, he's he's been trained to deal with things, right? Listen, Jesus Christ is the authority, authoritative king of the universe. There's not one molecule that can that can go that that can go awol, right? He's 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 got it. He's got it. Okay, all authority. And then notice what he says at the end. Jesus says, "And lo, and look, behold." I am you always, even to the end of the age, even the end of the world here. So Jesus is present with us constantly. So guess what? It's not all on me, is it? I'm a co-worker. I'm a co-worker of the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords of the universe. And he's with me. Which might, maybe, 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 maybe we're, or maybe we might wrestle with a little bit of, of, uh, of, of some questions and doubt. And so let me ask you this question. Will God save? Will he save? He's ready and willing, isn't he? Will God save? Um, 
in, in John 1, Jesus extends the invitation to Andrew, Peter, and Philip, and he says, come and see, right? Does that indicate the heart of a God who's willing to save? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will he save? They had no idea what was in store for them, right? But they follow him. They follow him. And, and, and we need to understand that God is ready and willing to save, and he uses people. The second question, maybe you're wondering, uh, in this task of made disciples, you know the answer to this, but has God spoken? Has he spoken? He has. He has spoken. And he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in this word, hasn't he? And it is enough, right? Third question, has God sent? Has he sent? He sent his son, right? And John 20, Jesus breathes onto his disciples in a picture of the Holy Spirit coming on them. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he commissions them. But not only that, but in John chapter 17, we hear the words, in the world, but not of the world, right? But Jesus' uh, vision for his disciples is greater than that, even. It's not just not in the world, but not of it. His, his, he says, uh, in the world, and, and, and he says, uh, uh, not of it, but he says, I've sent you into the world. So the, the heart of Jesus for the world has about now been translated to the disciples for the, for the life-giving, uh, 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 message of the gospel that we're not to move away from the world, but we're to move toward it. We're to advance toward it. We're not to avoid the world, but we're to, we're to win it to Jesus Christ. And you say, but I'm not a full-time minister of the gospel. And to which I would say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And here's what I mean by that. When people say they're not a full-time minister of the gospel, they mean I don't have 40 hours a week and I'm not paid full-time. You're looking at it wrong. All of us are full-time ministers of the gospel your pay just comes from somewhere else. It's just a matter of where God directs that money from. So God has sent us all. If he hadn't sent us all, why would he say, as you are going? As you are going, right? Next question. Will God supply the very thing we need to make disciples? What is the very thing we need? Well, he's given us the message. He's given us life in him. And he's given us two promises that are bookends to this. I'm the authoritative king of all the universe, and I'm with you always. Is there anything else you need besides Jesus with you always? That, that would be enough, right? Jesus with us always. And the next question really is then, well, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Well, let me remind you of this God, okay? The God of the Bible who has come to us in the person of Jesus is great. So you know what that means? I don't have to control. I don't have to be in charge here. As I'm going, I'm a co-worker with him. And the Bible says my father is always working. So I don't have to be in control of this here. I'm participating with God here. But this God is not only great and powerful, of course, the king of the universe, but he's good. He's good. He's good. And he is not us to anything that is not good. He's good. It might not look good with our horizontal view, from perspective of God who sees and knows all things, everything he tells us is for our good and for his glory. God is good. So we don't have to look um, uh, even to making disciples for, 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 our, for, our, for our satisfaction. We look to God for that because he's good and we obey out of that. And this God is, is glorious. 
He's glorious. So guess what? I don't need to find my significance in ministry. My significance is found in the God of the universe has allowed me by his grace to, to be part of his fellowship. That's what's significant. And out of my life with him, then, ministry overflows here with this mission of making disciples. But this God is also gracious. This God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. I obey simply. But he's gracious. He is so good. He has given so much. He has equipped so much. So I don't have to prove myself. And those are beautiful truths. Those are beautiful truths. And so the question um, that we're wrestling with here is, where do we make disciples? Everywhere. Everywhere. Because God is always at all times using everything in your life to make you more like Christ. And he wants that to affect other people. Other people. Can you make disciples in the hospital bed? Yep. Uh, God can use everything in your life to spread the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Now here's here's what I want to close with. This passage here that is so clear. And if you're wondering, well, how does that flush out? Read the book of Acts and you'll see how they did that. Reminds us that God has given us the great concert of his redemption. He is he has he has composed a beautiful symphony of grace. And when our hearts are captured by that symphony of grace, the question is not why do I have to make disciples, but how can I not make disciples? Fritz Kreisler was a world-famous German violinist, and he earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions, but generally he gave most of it away. He's a very generous person. And on one of his trips, he found an an exquisite violin. He wasn't able to buy it. Um, He didn't have enough money. And so he raised enough money to meet the asking price, and he returned to the seller hoping to purchase that beautiful violin. But he was his heart just was crushed because he found that the seller had sold it to a, to a, to a collector. And so Chrysler tracked down the new owner, the, the collector here, and offered to buy the violin from the collector. And the collector said, no, this is, this is, this is my prized possession here, and I'm not going to sell it. And Chrysler was just even more crushed. I mean, he, he was disappointed. He was about to leave, and he said, can I just play it? Can I just play it once more before it goes back to the case and, you know, consigned to silence again here? And the guy felt bad for him and said, sure. He gave him permission. And this virtuoso began playing this violin and he filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were just deeply stirred. He said, I have no right to keep that to you myself. He said, it's yours, he told Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let people hear it. And that's the good news of the gospel. God has taken these slumbering chords the songwriter talks about. He has stirred them. He has, he has given us the hope of Christ in the gospel. And he says, now take this music into the world and hear it. That's the beauty of making disciples. So where do we make disciples? Well, first of all, why? make disciples so that the Lamb of God receives the reward of the cross and the resurrection, the reward of his suffering and his resurrection. 
uh, uh, he, 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 he paid precious blood, right? God did not withhold his son. So that's the why. That's the motivation, right? Uh, what is a disciple then? If we're going to make a disciple, we need to understand the disciples forgiven, forgiven sinner through the work of Jesus Christ, who is, uh, uh, who is learning, uh, Christ and, and unlearning the things that are not Christ and learning the things that are Christ. Repentance and faith. And then how are disciples made? It, 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 it will not happen without the truth of God's word. It will not happen without the truth of God's word. It will not happen, um, uh, without some, without contact. Without relationship is key. Relationship is key. Um, uh, even if you're just sharing the word of God, you're you you are initiating some kind of relationship, right? Will not happen without relationship. Will not happen without the Spirit of God who takes the word of God. Will not happen without prayer. Who makes disciples? Well, Acts two tells us the Spirit has come upon us. And the Spirit has come upon us so that we declare forth, we speak forth the word of God. And so Spirit-filled lovers of God obey Christ and we make disciples. And where do we make disciples from this morning? Wherever we are, we are bearing witness to learning Christ in word and deed. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're hearing these things and that might sound foreign to you. Or maybe you're curious and I want to tell you this morning that the life of Jesus Christ has been given so that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers his work of dying on the cross for your sin and brokenness. And by the way, there is not a person in here that is not broken. There is no one in here that is better than another person. And Jesus has given all that he has so that he takes those broken pieces that our sin and running away from them have done and he forms them into a beauty, the beauty of his, of his own person. That's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus invites you to receive what he's done and to say, that's it. I quit chasing these things. I quit chasing this. I quit chasing that for health and wealth and meaning. I quit chasing that. And I'm coming to the fountain where there is living water that fully satisfies. That doesn't mean life will be easy for you, but it means life will have found purpose. And this Jesus who died on the cross for you, as we celebrated last week, did not stay dead, but he rose victorious from the grave. He cast off the penalty of sin. He cast off the penalty of, of death. And Jesus is victorious and, and he has come to give us new life, eternal life. And God, the God of heaven, invites you to life with him. The God who made all things invites you to his dinner table. He invites you to life with him. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's why believers, we make disciples. And that's why those who are not disciples, Jesus is saying, come, come. All you are weary and heavy laden, find rest in me. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a disciple of Jesus, you're not a believer of Jesus, and and, and you haven't come to that point where where you realize uh, there is nothing that I can do to 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 
to, uh, to, to find meaning and to, and to take care of my sin. It, it, my, my life must depend upon the work of another, and that work is Jesus Christ, and He is the one, only one who could, who, who, who has, who paid the full price and has given me full life in the resurrection. Today is the day for you to call upon Him. Today is the day for you to turn to Him and turn away from your old ways. And I invite you to do that today. You might say, well, how do I do that? And the answer is, how are you sitting in this chair this morning? You're sitting in that chair. You're depending on that chair. You can see that chair with your eyes. And so this is a little different than that. You can't see God. And what I'm talking about are unseen truths, unseen realities here. But the truth of the matter is you are depending on that chair and you must depend upon Jesus Christ and not anything else. And he is not. And so I invite you to that this morning. Maybe believer, you need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. Because we can sit and we can harp and say, we need to be witnessing, we need to do this, we need to do that. And you know what? The gospel says we get to do it. Because of what God has shown us in his mercy, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. And so I would ask you to begin praying about particular individuals. And you probably really don't need to begin praying about God bringing individuals on your way because he already probably already has. But what you probably might need to be praying is, God, now help me take the next step in an engaging relationship here and find ways to help that person either grow if they're a believer. Everyone in here should have some kind of discipling relationship, right? I don't care how long you are in the faith. Uh, Timothy had Paul and Paul had Timothy, right? Um, uh, to grow in the faith or, uh, or and an unbeliever, Lord, who you would use your word in me to bring the Christ for your glory, for the sake of your name. Who are those people? Some of you have those people right now. And God, by his grace, has been giving you more and more opportunities to press into their lives, to love God, love your neighbor. I've heard the stories here. And be encouraged in that, continue in that. And some of you need to take that step of faith, launch out. And I'll tell you, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us, he's got you. He's got you. And he'll help you. So where do we make disciples? As we are going in all of life. So this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, would you... Would you speak to myself or speak to another uh, 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 man or lady here this morning? Uh, and if you have more questions, uh, the, the Jesus Christ tells us that the day is a day of salvation. He invites you into this life. Let's pray. Lord, it's April 28, 2019. It's many... Ways just another ordinary day. Lord, there's no accident in the universe that you, you reign as the king over and Lord, you brought us here together, um, to look into your word, uh, to challenged by it and, uh, Lord to, uh, be gripped with the task of this, of this great commission of making disciples maturing and multiplying. Lord, would you us to press into this, to lean into this, to take courageous steps here of um, believing you and acting. And Lord, would you 
not for our numbers, not for our notoriety, but for the sake of your name, reap a harvest through your willing servants. Lord, I pray for hearts, Lord, that don't know you and don't know the wonder and beauty that you are. Lord, that's what we're made for. That was that, That's what we're created for. And I pray, Lord, that um, they would cast themselves upon you. They would understand the life that we live away from you was a life that at the end of it has eternal destruction apart from you in the lake of fire forever. But you have reached in and you have offered mercy and you have placed the sin upon your Son who has died in our place and provides free the free gift of life. And our hearts will not rest until they rest in Him. Would you do the work that your Word has invited and called people to do? Will your Spirit take it and continue with us? And we trust that He will. He's more powerful than the speaker. He is the one who has the living words of life. We trust your Spirit to do what He promises He will do. In Jesus' name, Amen. You're dismissed. The team doing junior church is looking for parents to come pick up their kids. And that would be down here in the posting room down this hallway if you have a child. Junior church, pick them up.